I hope you're strapped in and strapped on. Ethical non-monogamy expands what a traditional relationship, quote-unquote, can look like. It's opened a lot of doors that I don't know if we ever would have opened within our relationship if we weren't ethically non-monogamous. Welcome back to another episode of Sex Essentialist. Today, I am joined by my friend Zach. Hey. Hi. How's, how's it, it going? How's it going? <laughs> how's it going to you? I'm, I'm well. It's, it's good. I have to admit, I'm a little, like, starstruck growing up in, like, the YouTube era and listening to your podcast and now being here. It's kind of like I'm having a full circle moment. I'm so. basically Jenna Marbles. My following <laughs> is to that extent. Um, no, that's fair. I mean, every young millennial wants to be a content creator. We're all just out here trying to make it happen. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream. Um, so how did we meet? We met through mutual friends yeah. uh, a while ago. But then I feel like just recently, yeah. well, not recently, but over the last like couple year, years, yeah. we've like realized that we're in love in the same person. We're in love in the same person. <laughs> it's it's difficult to be both identical twins and in love. <laughs> also problematic that um, you're only into penis owners and I don't have one. Which I think we could make it work. We just, <laughs> speaking of E and M, I could I could be a bottom but only with my bussy, <laughs> and and that's it. I'll just wear my strap on, and that's all we ever need. Yeah. Um. So. We're going to get into our topic of the day, which is ethical non-monogamy. But before we do that, um, Zach, as per usual, you've come prepared with a classic Zach anecdote um, (laughs) that kind of pertains to, um, I'm guessing, your overall sexuality journey Anyway, not to make it a deep story, but it's kind of part of it. Oh, no, because there were so many years where weird stuff like this was happening yeah yeah so when i was young still living at my parents i'd gotten an ipad and it was my ipad and i bought it with your money yes with my money so it was absolutely mine Mm -hmm. and we were watching i think it was enchanted on like disney and i had googled patrick dempsey naked so like then for some reason five minutes later my mom used my iPad for something and Mm -hmm. saw that in the search history. Mm -hmm. And rather than coming up with some sort of clever reason, I proceeded to tell her that it was the title of a news article and then took the iPad and on the spot pretended to read a news article about Patrick Dempsey, like bearing it all in a new show to explain why that was in the search history. (laughs) That is, I mean, one, good for you, for because you didn't come out for a while. No, it was like still like five or six years that I was closeted. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like you could have just been like, that's right, mom, I'm gay. But obviously you weren't ready to do that, which is totally fine. And you were able to be like, in a moment of terror, actually, mom, there's this really interesting HBO show coming out where Patrick Dempsey <laughs> is butt-ass naked, all a Game of Thrones. Like, in the moment, you were able to come up with something, which I think is pretty cool. So I feel like I probably would have just cried. I think I was definitely crying on the inside, and it's still, like, a moment that haunts me to this day. So, like, maybe it looked eloquent in the moment, but it, 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 was, a, <laughs> it was a panic. I feel like Patrick Dempsey isn't not your type still. Oh, no. He absolutely is. Because he's kind of, like, at this point, salt and pepper Timothy Chalamet. But... 
he, he let his I don't know if he did it for a movie or something but he has like totally white hair at least mm. in the most recent photos and I'm not into it but the salt and pepper like yeah. Patrick Dempsey daddy definitely yeah daddy Timothy Chalamet I guess yeah he is, he's <laughs> daddy Timothy Chalamet which yeah we both relate to that for sure um cool so today we're talking about ethical non-monogamy um you are ethically non-monogamous correct and we'll get into that um but first i wanted to kind of just define it for folks listening who don't know what it is or they're confused as to what it looks like and i'll start by saying it looks like a lot of different things um depending on the relationship or relationships um, but at a baseline, it is when relationships are not following sort of the traditional bounds of two individuals um, only interacting romantically, physically, um, even to an extent platonically um, with just themselves. So ethical non-monogamy expands what a traditional relationship quote-unquote can look like and also can sometimes um reframe the way that we think about platonic relationships as well um do you have anything you want to add to that i think that for me over the years i've definitely come to find that it's like there's so many things it's spectrum based like there's so many different variations and combinations and ways that each couple can kind of tailor enm to their relationship and how what works for them what doesn't work for them and I think that that's been one of my favorite things about going through this whole experience is kind of finding what works for us and in a way tailoring it to our relationship and in a lot of ways I think it's made it I don't know really opened us up and made it for a better healthier more honest communication between us and what we want yeah I think that's um for people who kind of don't quote-unquote get it I think that's one of the key things that we'll we'll talk about is that you know for folks who are able to put in the work that it takes to make ethical non-monogamy work, I think it's relationship strengthening because it does require so much honesty, communication, transparency, um, and open-mindedness. So let me quickly provide just like a few examples of ethical non-monogamy. And, um, you know, again, it looks like different things for different people. And not all of these labels are fully encompassing of what all of those things can look like. But at a high level, um, you know, polygamy is technically a form of ethical non-monogamy. I think like in the way that it's practiced in the U.S. is not necessarily. But and we're not really going to talk about polygamy today. But polygamy is obviously um, being explicitly married to multiple people. More common, um, you're going to hear the term polyamory. For those of you who are in, like, queer and sex-related spaces on Instagram and Reddit, you've, I'm sure, heard of of poly folks. Um, There are tons of different ways that that polyamory can take shape. Um, You know, you can have, like, a a thruple, if you will. You can have a quad, which is four people (laughs) who are all interdating. Um, You can have, you know, like a polycule where certain people are connected and others aren't. Um, polycule being sort of like the web of people in interrelationing with each other. Um, what are some other ones? I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, really, the, the sky is the limit. I I mean, I personally am more familiar with thruples and quads. Yeah. But uh, I know that 
some people it, it's like groups yeah like. <laughs> yeah and like there are terms that you'll see like hierarchical and non-hierarchical uh polyamory which is like whether prioritization exists within mm. the polycule or not um you'll see the term like metamors and metamors are like your partner's partners that you're not in a relationship with and like what your relationship looks like with them if there is one can take different shapes um so that's that's polyamory at a really high level and then um swinging how do we define swinging <laughs> i have a funny story about swinging okay amazing go for it let's let's do it so my mom and her sisters took my grandma out for lunch i think it was for mother's day a few years back and my grandma indulges in an occasional glass of wine, but for some reason that day she decided that she wanted vodka tonics. Oh my gosh. So she is hammered. The woman's 82 years old. <laughs> and they had just gone and seen Kinky Boots. So oh they were talking gosh. about, I don't know, yes, that genre of thing. <laughs> and all of a sudden my grandma comes out and says that she and my grandfather used to go to swingers parties when they were younger, which makes perfect sense. They got married forever ago at 19. Yeah. And, but the funniest part is that there's always been this mystery around one of my aunt's blood types. She is AB and my grandma is O and my grandpa is B. No one ever talks about it, but like genetically it's not possible. But then for me, that kind of like clicked. I'm like, oh. She is a swinger baby. <laughs> swinger baby, which I love. I fully support. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still your aunt for sure. But um, that's really funny. My, I've talked about it on the show. My mom was a swinger. Was she really? Yeah, so she... Went to swingers clubs with one of her husbands. Um, she has said that she had to be really high to enjoy it, which is like, <laughs> yikes. Um, like anytime swinging has come up, I'm always like, make sure you want to be there. Um, but essentially swinging is like TLDR couple swapping yeah. to an extent. Yeah. Um, I think it can involve like threesome type situations, but it's mostly couple swapping. Couple I think swapping is more yeah. tradition like a more traditional idea of what it is. Yeah, I guess like with a with like a threesome situation and picturing like if two couples are having sex and like three people are more engaged and one is like having kind of a voyeur role. Oh. I'm complicating it in my head, but basically but no, 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 it can I it agree. can take different shapes. Yeah. 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 Um and then um I did do an episode on cuckolding. Um, go listen to that. We are not going to talk about it today. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time talking about cucking. I'm I'm pro cucking for those of you who are into it, but I've talked about it enough. They won't be. We won't be going into it today, unless that's part of your. No, no, no. Okay, I didn't I'm... think so. Um, it's more common in uh, heterosexual relationships than than gay sex, gay relationships. I'm not even sure what it is to be completely honest, but I'll listen to your you podcast. Yeah, listen to my episode. Um, and then um, open relationships, which is like the most common um, phrase I think used by common I guess more like mainstream more societally accepted um which is is that how you would characterize your relationship or do you just say ENM I think that we try to use ENM uh just because yeah it's the technical term but I do think that we define it as an open relationship um although I do think that lately in a way we've leaned more polyamory because yeah. we have been doing more play together stuff rather right. than like one-on-ones separately yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And you have, like, meaningful relationships with the people that you engage with sometimes. I'm not saying you're in love with other people. Oh, but. no, I am. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> cool. We'll get into that. Um, lastly, I'll also just mention, like, 
I, you know, I think casual relationships and casual sex can be included in ethical non-monogamy. Um, I think like we're going to talk more about what it looks like in a, um, a long-term dynamic because I think the nuance of trying to treat casual sex and casual dating as ethical non-monogamy is that you, you aren't, um, your, your foundation of trust just looks different. And so I think it can be a little bit more difficult. Um, I think you have to try really hard to be ethically non-monogamous when doing casual sex and dating. If you aren't, you have to be really over-communicative with people who are casual. It, it There's way more gray area with the casualness. I feel yeah. like it's like, where are you, who you're hanging out with? And it's much easier just to be like, oh, I'm going to see this person. Yeah. And I, yes, I agree that I, it's, it's harder. I feel like in queer spaces, queer and kinky spaces, it's actually totally feasible. Right. But when I think about, for those of you who are, you know, just like swiping on Tinder, calling yourself like casual sex or dating, it's sort of like, Commun- over communicate and then you can call it ethical non-monogamy maybe <laughs> um so yeah tell me a little bit about your ethical non-monogamy journey all right so it all started back in 2018 we were in santiago de chile on new year's day and apparently nothing is open on new year's day in santiago okay and we were there on vacation we wanted to do stuff but then it's just everything was closed and we were kind of like, all right, what do we do? And my partner had messaged one of his old uh, classmates um, from school. My partner studied abroad in Santiago okay. back in college. And the friend had jokingly said, oh, we should have a threesome. Clearly, it was very much a joke. Yeah. And But then my partner and I kind of look at each other and we're like, oh. <laughs> well, maybe. Well, there's nothing else to do. And this friend was very attractive, and I was, like, into it. And I knew that my partner had been into him for years. So we messaged back, and we are like, sure. Anyway, and then he chickened out. He just ghosted us. And it was kind of disappointing, but then we'd kind of worked ourselves up to it. And then we're like, well, we wanted to have a threesome, so, like, damn it, we're going to do it. And so we went on Grindr, and we found this great guy who we're still friends with today, uh, I actually miss him a lot. We haven't seen him in forever. And it was great. It was really fun. It was. It felt very, I don't know. It was, it was very um, freeing in a way. Like it was yeah. kind of like the, the confines of the relationship. Not that it was anything that ever I felt repressed by or anything, but it was very much like, like this new experience again that we hadn't felt in quite a few years because we'd been together for a while. Yeah. Um, so then from there, we've tried on many different hats with it. We've tried, like, playing separately. We've tried playing together. We've tried, like, the hit it and quit it. Mm-hmm. And then, but then we've tried, like, actually forming, like, longer-term relationships. Um, it's been a constant learning journey. Yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, arguments. Yeah. But then also, like, a lot of really great kind of confessional things and, like, wants and desires. And overall, I do feel like the goods have outweighed the bads. Yeah. But it's been, um, I think it's been over five years now that we've been doing it. And I still have no regrets in starting it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I love that. I mean, as I've shared with you and I've mentioned on the show, like I was ethically non-monogamous for a while and I did not have the right partner for it. I didn't have the foundation for it. And it, it didn't result in fulfillment for me. And I think 
for people who are trying to open up a relationship really because they're no longer interested in their current one or they're trying to fill a void or find a band-aid for a problem like it's just not going to work but for you it it took a different um, and more longer lasting form and since then you and your partner have gotten married you live together it's like um, I guess if you're if we're talking polyamory terms, you're hierarchical and that your partner, your husband is your main partner. Correct. And then you both interact with other people. Yeah. So what are some of the forms that it's taken? Like what kind of so the first instance was a threesome. Um, yes. Of playing kind of with a, an outside party. And then what else has it kind of looked like? I know you mentioned a few things high level. Yeah. But. No. So I think when we first started, we definitely kind of fell into the role of like open relationship where we would ethically go and do our own thing one-on-one with another person um for us we fell into the trope of like what you said uh the honesty and communication is really hard with that and i myself found it very easy to be like oh i'm gonna go hang out with this person when in actuality i was getting dick yeah and that like it just it didn't work for us and i think that at the time we were both young i don't know if we had the maturity level to really handle that and even to this day i think we haven't done anything one-on-one in a while but the last time i remember being like really worried and kind of jealous like a feeling that i didn't necessarily have before but it 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 just doesn't work for us um because i think like even though you've set a high level understanding of okay we're in an open relationship or open situation but it sounds like you guys hadn't set specific boundaries as to like i'm going to say who i'm with and where i'm going versus i'm not and i'm okay with it you know like i guess you guys had just agreed yes we're open to this but no like further negotiation had taken place yeah early on like i don't think we realized how kind of detailed we needed to be about our rules and later on we actually we have it in our notes app like we have like a list of rules of like what's okay and what's not okay um I love that it it, it almost was completely necessary because it's like there it may not even be intentional like if one of us would do something that would hurt the other and it's like oh we didn't even think of that yeah there's so many things to think of totally um and I do, it, it was interesting because in that early stage where we were doing one-on-one stuff, my partner was very much more like hook up, go see someone, yeah. get it, and then yeah. leave. Whereas I, and it's to this day, I would fall in love. And I would lean maybe more on the side of an ethically non-monogamous affair yeah. in a way. And I would start having these very long-term yeah. you know, relationships and that would cause its own set of problems. Yeah. Well, that was always my problem, too, is, like, I have a hard time separating. I, I guess, like, in order for sex to be really good for me and thus worth it, I want intimate connection. It doesn't have to be romantic, but I want a, I want a friendship. I want to feel known. I want to know someone. And I think it's hard to accomplish that and have sex without falling in love, at least yeah. for me. Um, and that was the problem, too, is it got to a point where, like, I – and I was more in a cuck dynamic as well. Mm-hmm. So it was like I had sort of free reign, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I was 
wanting to have ownership of my dynamics as opposed to being controlled by my even though like the fucking the hot wife supposed to be in charge I was like being sort of controlled by the cuck in the relationship like um I wanted to, I stopped wanting to be told like when to go fuck someone else to humiliate my partner <laughs> and just like kind of go get dick and so that's the thing is it was like open but I was like not telling my partner who I was with and where I was with and so it started feeling like cheating yeah. even though I was in a relationship where I was told those things were not just okay but like encouraged right but it becomes really complicated but I totally get it like it's easy to be like I don't know the consistency of an ongoing dynamic is feels safer yeah. um the sex is often better I mean, it sounds like maybe your partner was having good casual sex, though, which if he was good for him, but. But I think that you know, we're like the same person. It's I definitely need that connection yeah. more because it's I'm just not necessarily comfortable. And if I'm not comfortable, then it's like I'm not having a good time. Yeah. Whereas my partner, it's just about getting off. And like, which I totally. <laughs> Power like, to yeah, Exactly. And I like I respect the hell out of that, but I can't do yeah. that like I'd much rather just like jerk off at home by myself yeah, totally. then I'm like happy like <laughs> totally like, I can have like a five-hour masturbation <laughs> session and be better than having sex with someone random yeah yeah but um okay so that didn't work for you guys no yeah uh like I said I think that every couple is different but definitely not yeah we just didn't enjoy it yeah so from there it evolved into we did a lot of like play together mm-hmm. um which to this day, I think has been my favorite okay. form. Um, basically, it's it was just like a date night for us, but then we'd invite a third person. We'd yeah. go out to eat, we'd go out for drinks, and then we'd bring this guy home and have really fun sex. Yeah. And I felt like that was always the best balance hmm. for me at least um because you kind of you build that little bit of a relationship with the person yeah. before and then it makes it enjoyable and a lot of times we didn't necessarily talk to them again i think we still follow a few of them on instagram but uh it was a little more kind of like this is us for the evening yeah and it feels like a little like i don't know not not that one night stands or casual sex are ever like scummy but i think for me when I've had threesomes, it felt nicer when we were all, like, whining and dining each other. Yes. Because otherwise, it's sort of just, like, a booty call for one person. Then, like, I get to curl up in bed with my partner and, like, send that person on their merry way. And that didn't make me feel very good. <laughs> like, I was sort of like, yeah, okay, well, we want your body and we're nice people. Right. And you're a nice person. But, like, then, like, you can go. Like, but, like, when we had dinner and drinks before, um, which I've, I've kind of done both, um, not very much of either, but still have done it. But um, I had so much more fun when we, like, were hanging out before. Yeah. And one of our favorite things to do specifically with that is when we're traveling. Yeah. We'll find a guy yeah. and be like, take us to all the cool queer places. Oh, my gosh, And fun. then you can fuck us later. Like, <laughs> I love that. What a great way to get a local tour guide. I swear to God, it is the <laughs> best way to travel. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And like I said, still, actually, I think we're friends with more of our travel. Okay. Because, like, I, I feel like there's, like, kind of, like, um, when we do it locally, I feel like there's a little bit more of a, like, a, okay, we get ghosted more. Yeah. Whereas when we're traveling, I think there's, like, that natural, like, oh, now they're 5,000 miles away. We can still be friends. Yes. Yeah. It's not <laughs> like anyone's going to get clingy. Right. Because 
we live like a mile away. Um, and also, I love that the I know you mentioned this a bit ago, but the implementation of a notes app because like a notes app because I think like in any I talk about this literally like every fucking episode, but like in any situation, whether there's two people or more people, if you're incorporating anything basically into your sex life there have to be some boundaries communicated and I think um you know like my partner and I don't have anything written down but like I'm very into sitting down and saying okay in our recent sexual encounters like this is what worked for me you seemed to really like this that was new can we talk about it and determine like what that looks like I'm not saying we know like okay Monday we're having this kind of sex and Tuesday we're having this kind of sex but there's some guidelines in place and I think that that should be more normalized in any sexual interaction. So that way, like when it comes to things like quote unquote, complicating it by adding other people into the mix, it's normal to be like, yeah, we should negotiate. Yeah. And I I think that especially writing it down and putting it in like a, I don't know, a physical form, it really takes, it really promotes that conversation and that transparency and the honesty. And then in a way, it's a form of protection then too. Like mm-hmm. it's like well, we discussed this and yeah. you said it was okay. And not to like kind of like, you know, gotcha. It's not like a bait and switch sort of thing. But I do think that that helps kind of diffuse like if there is a hurt feeling afterwards, it's kind of like, okay, like I totally understand that this hurt you and it's like we don't have to do it again, but you know, we did discuss it prior. And it's you know, so I, I think that it's equal forms like understanding communication setting the boundaries but then also like it helps afterwards if something does go wrong to kind of be like okay we can renegotiate but at the time this was the agreement yeah no exactly i think like it's like you said it's it's a form of protection um for everyone involved in kind of the the before and the after and like to know that things like that are flexible like like the the fact that you've tried on different types of enm too like that's all flexible yeah um okay so at first it was incorporating a third mm-hmm. and then is that still part of your enm or has it did it sh- take another shape so recently we have been doing like kind of like long-term relationship enm we have another couple mm-hmm. that well, i've known one of them now for like five years okay. he was one of the first people that I hooked up with like one-on-one back okay. when we were doing one-on-one and then we were together a bunch and then his husband got really jealous and kind of said no you can't see him anymore but then he kept seeing me I didn't know that the husband had said that at yeah, the time. Yeah. <laughs> and but then he kind of just ghosted and mm-hmm. then like a year later he came back and or the husband came back and yes. apologized and kind of explained the whole situation was like oh can we go to dinner and now my partner and I are actually closer with the husband rather than the, the original. Guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we still, all four of us, hang out. And for me, I have another guy who I've been, yeah, you know, in love with forever. And I went to Mexico with him for like six weeks and hung out with his kids. You know, so it's yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so it's like it takes different names. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you guys are, you you can have instances of, like monogamish I feel like you yes. occasionally have phases where you're like okay we're gonna take a break from other people right now because for whatever reason we were actually kind of notorious for that <laughs> to the point where some of our partners have gotten annoyed because yeah. we are just like no we're we're closed right now yeah and I think that 
anyone in an E&M relationship can't, shouldn't be afraid to do that. Yeah. Because it's, if both partners have to be willing and committed and as soon as one of them isn't comfortable, it's like, no. Shut down. Even like currently, we are closed. Yeah. Um, we just felt like we needed time to, for us and to work on us. And luckily, everyone who we are currently involved with is very supportive of it. Yeah. And it wasn't even a question, uh, which is great. Yeah. It's good that you have trusting partners that like you're comfortable saying hey we're close for the time being um and they're cool with it do you find that you still hang out with those people as friends even when you're not fucking yes and like (laughs) it is funny because we've gotten to the point with um actually all of them that i'd i'd choose friendship over the sex with them not that the sex isn't great because (laughs) i said my my one guy it's like he's the best top and I'm like I hold on to him just for that (laughs) the dick game's strong the dick game's strong no they're they're all great and it's like especially when we do oscillate between are we open are we closed yeah that's always our thing it's like okay we're gonna close but we want to maintain a friendship with person A, B, C yeah and like I said it's been really great to kind of in a way form the friendship outside of the sex then too and then when we open back up it's just more intimate and fun almost yeah, and it's sort of like starting from scratch, but with people that you already have had sex with and know and right. are friends with, which is really <laughs> nice. No surprises here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I feel like even though we do live in a large metropolitan area, that in my mind, at least the ethically non-monogamous gay community is like probably kind of small. Do you find that to be the case? Extremely so. <laughs> and it cracks me up. The best example of this is... Oh, it had to be 10 years ago before my partner and I were even together. Mm-hmm. My partner was the third of this older couple. Okay. Um, and I think he met with them a few times and that, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to 2018 when we first started, he suggested one of the husbands of the couple to like come and be a third for us. So he came over and it was really fun. And, but that was kind of it. It was just kind of like a one-time thing. Yeah. And then another two years later, I start talking to this guy who I'm really into and like he and I meet up. And then when I ask if this guy wants to have a threesome with my husband and I, we get together. Turns out it's the husband, (laughs) the second husband. Anyway, and then we put it all together and no one knew. They didn't know who my husband was and I didn't know who their husband was. And it was just a really laughable moment. This is the same guy that I went to Mexico with for six weeks. Right, right. The the guy who's a top. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so he, the two of you had been fucking. Yes. And he had just never seen a photo of your husband. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he wasn't your husband yet, but still. True, yeah, that's right. But he he was still your partner. And your husband, obviously at the time, didn't know what, your sex partners looked like right so he just showed up for a threesome and like your husband opens the door and they're like wait a minute we've done this before even when we were going there my partner was like this looks familiar and i'm like okay so you like, went to their house yeah and his husband was just gone yeah okay because it was like during the day his husband was at work okay and- <laughs> so not like his husband was like in the living room watching right. tv do you find that um like are are the people that you're currently involved with so it sounds like you're the the guy who's your top on the side he's obviously married correct um and they have other partners as well besides y'all 
I think, yes. I know that the husband, not my top, the husband of the top mm-hmm. is very um, open. Open. Um, whereas mine, I think... Dabbles. Dabbles, but doesn't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the other couple that y'all are involved with, do they have others as well, or is it mostly just the two of you? I think, you know, they have others as well, but I also think it's it's more dabble. Okay. Yeah. So with that in mind, do you find that you think about... Um, do you think about your relationships hierarchically outside of your husband? So obviously he's sort of like your number one partner, if you will. Um, but do you think of your other dynamics as um, some prioritize over others? Do you feel like that's something that they think about or is it all more organic than that? I think it's probably more organic than that. Um, for me, like there's definitely, there's certain people, I mean, I, I feel like it's more in terms of how we think of our friends. Like there's certain people who you just click with, you enjoy hanging out with them more. So it's like, it's easier maybe to give them priority mm-hmm. over someone who it's a little harder to hang out with. So I don't know if I like mentally like rank them in a way, Yeah. but it is, I think of it more in terms of like a friendship, like who do I want to hang out with with the addition of having sex with them. Right. I feel like, so I, I've never been in a, like a poly relationship, but I have existed in polyamorous communities, several different stages of my life. And I find that, um, I think some people really lean into the language of polyamory. I mean, kind of like queerness, right? Like some people really lean into self-identification through language, through labels. And I think that overlap is with the poly community too and kink communities, frankly. I mean, there are some things where I think it's really important to label. And I think there are other things that lend themselves to being more exploratory. Um, Obviously, like, you guys default to sort of like the greater umbrella term of ENM, which gives mm-hmm. you the flexibility within right. that. Um, for people who are trying to kind of explore um, ethical non-monogamy, like what's your take on the value of language versus um, more just like, I guess, open exploration without leaning into the definition of something? That's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So for me, I personally like labels. Mm -hmm. I think that it's something that you can kind of hold on to and feel a part of a community, whether or not you actually are even involved with other people. Just to have the label, to me, feels very inclusive. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, I'm a part of this community because I fall under this label. I do think that... That as far as, like, exploration goes, I think that labels can be restrictive at times. Like, I don't feel like you need to pick a label and then commit to it. And if you identify with this label, sometimes it can kind of narrow your scope and keep you from exploring. Mm. And I think that that can be detrimental in the fact that maybe you want to try another label. And maybe it fits you better. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, I don't think that anyone should ever feel locked in or trapped by a label. Yeah. Especially within polyamory. It's like, you know, are you monogamish? Are you open relationship? Maybe you're polyamorous. Yeah. Um, I know for a fact that my husband definitely has more interest in, like, polyamory than maybe I do. Mm -hmm. I think that I will tend to lean more monogamy, monogamish, you know, open relationship. Whereas he's like maybe I've never tried a polyamorous relationship. Yeah. 
And I think that even like going all the way back to when we first started E&M, yeah. letting go of that monogamous label yeah. was really hard for me yeah. because it, it's, it's so imprinted in us. And I think when I originally mentioned you know, our first threesome, that kind of that freeing feeling, yeah. I, in a way, I think that that's part of it. It was kind of like shedding that monogamous label and being like, oh, there's this whole world out there that I get to kind of explore. Yeah. So I think that they're good and bad in a sense. I definitely don't think that they're necessary, but yeah. I think that they're important to some people. But I also think that you shouldn't be afraid to change your label. It's, yeah. a, it's a dry erase board. It's not a permanent, like... <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I think, like, sometimes language can be scary. I think, like, if you're the type of person where you hear all of the jargon and think like I have to know and understand all of those words in order to be part of a community like no you don't um you can explore it and try on different versions of it without having the names for it and that's totally okay I think like language becomes important when you're if you're in a community where negotiation with multiple people is important to safety then you're going to want the language. Like in BDSM communities, you're, you want to know what impact play is, right? Like you want to know what you want to know what you're negotiating about <laughs> before <laughs> you consent to it or ask someone else to consent to it, right? But I don't think that – like you don't need to say – like you're saying, you don't need to say I'm a hierarchical polyamorous person. Right. Um, I know there's like – kitchen table versus garden party polyamory. I was reading about this. Um, <laughs> Which I don't even know what those are, like, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's the point, right? Like, I think people define kitchen table polyamory as um, partners have relationships with metamors, which are their partner's partners. Mm. So, for example, if my husband and I, um, let's say let's say I'm married to my husband, Joe, who's been on the show, and Zach and I here are also in a relationship, if Joe and Zach were best friends. Which we are. Well, yes. Then, then that you would be metamorphs. Right. So that's kitchen table where, like, you picture the full polycule sitting down at the kitchen table together. Garden party is if you and Joe did not ha- interact. Interesting. And I was just fucking, and, you know, married to one of you and fucking, and then fucking you, and you guys didn't know each other. So it's, like, the value add that you find in different relationships can take different shapes and like you don't have to say tomorrow i'm a kitchen table polyamorous person i mean i love that that's a fucking label because it's great (laughs) i think it's a great imagery like a use of imagery to describe that but you you can explore it it doesn't have to look like one thing um so i guess like even though i'm not a part of the enm community that's always something that i want to tell people is like language can be perceived as an inaccessibility and that shouldn't be what it is perceived as no i i think that that was very eloquently put and i completely agree <laughs> yeah. i think that it's it's a powerful tool to have yes. and i think that even in what we've been doing a lot of times we'll do something and then later retroactively find out oh this is called this yeah, yeah yeah and then it is 
it, it's nice because then it's like oh I don't have to explain this whole thing I can just use this phrase yes <laughs> yeah and that's the thing too is like language is either a useful like shortcut like that or sometimes it's complicated like if I said to you like oh sounds like you're part of a garden party polyamorous situation then you'd be like what the fuck are well, you I don't know what you're talking about yeah but I'm always like like when I talk to people even people who are ethically non-monogamous and like before we started this conversation I was like do you use the term metamors because yeah. there are people who don't and again I know people in the poly community who lean so heavily on the language mm-hmm. That sometimes I get lost in it. And right. I try to be pretty, like, well-versed in language around sex and relationships, right? So um, it's a lot to take in, but that doesn't mean that you have to default to unethical non-monogamy because <laughs> ethical non-monogamy is too scary, <laughs> right? I couldn't learn the language. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm just going to cheat. <laughs> Which, like, fair. Like, couldn't be bothered. <laughs> just going to fuck whoever I want. Um. So that brings me to the big question. Uh-oh. Um, I feel like, let me preface it, I feel okay. like when people who are wholeheartedly monogamous think about ethical non-monogamy, they think it's just a, a fancy way of excusing cheating. They don't understand why anyone who married or is with the quote-unquote right person would ever need someone else. What do you get out of ethical non-monogamy? Um, you know, why does it feel like a value add to your relationship and your quality of life? Yes, this is the big question. This is the big question. I think, I think it's changed. I think we've been doing it so long that it's definitely evolved. Yeah. Initially, when my partner and I got together when we were 22 and 21, Mm. we, neither of us had come out. We came out when we started dating. Wow. And we needed each other to kind of lean on to kind of do that. So we were very early in our sexual journey. So I feel like when we first started it, it was really great because I feel we still had some like sexual exploration that we needed to do. Yeah. And it helped us kind of grow up in sexually. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was definitely a value add early in our relationship. I feel like now it's it's great because it promotes so much conversation Mm. even if it has nothing to do with enm sometimes it just kind of forces us to talk and talk about things that maybe we don't want to and that's definitely not something that i envisioned happening when we first started i'm just like oh we get dick this is great like (laughs) but now i think it's we're constantly evaluating we're constantly sharing and it's it it really promotes that Let's dig deeper. Let's make sure this is okay. Are we comfortable? Are we are we unsatisfied in a certain way? Why do you want this? Why do you need that? Yeah. And it's opened a lot of doors that I don't know if we ever would have opened within our relationship yeah. if we weren't ethically non-monogamous. Yeah. And I will forever be grateful for that because these issues would have come out, but it maybe would have been 20, 30 years down the road. Yeah. And it could have been a lot more damaging to our relationship if we weren't ethically non-monogamous to start. Yeah. So I definitely think that that's a huge value add for me. Um, On a more shallow level, as verse, and my partner being a total bottom, (laughs) it's great because it's like, you know. You get truly the best of the world. (laughs) No, I know. That's – I feel like um, that's – the part that sometimes people 
struggle to understand. I mean, one, I think I totally agree. Obviously, I'm I'm in a completely monogamous relationship now, but like being in situations where I had to over communicate or in situations where I blatantly didn't communicate and I felt guilty about it. And there's many reasons why my past relationship didn't work out. But the way that we handled non-monogamy was part of it. Um, Now it's easy for me to have easier, I should say, for me to have those conversations about things like kink um, and BDSM. And like, I think, you know, no one has to jump into a sexual dynamic that they don't want to just to try out like improving communication in a relationship. Mm-hmm. But I do think when you're in some of those more non-traditional, unconventional dynamics, whatever that looks like, the more you have to work and the, it just requires so much honesty and openness and self-reflection too. Like everyone, like every, every ethically non-monogamous person, every kinkster like should be in therapy Oh, 100%. Because, like, <laughs> you can't just try stuff on other people right. or yourself without processing, like, where all of it's coming from. <laughs> and if stuff's coming up from trauma, I mean, I feel like everyone's like, oh, I, I, I don't understand why, like, people who have been in abusive relationships want to try on these, like, non-conventional sexual dynamics because isn't that triggering? I'm like, for a lot of people, stuff like this is a reclamation. Of, of their autonomy. And I talk, I literally just, my DDLG episode I just released is literally about that. <laughs> so like, whatever. I'm always on a fucking pedestal about this. But um, th- yeah, I mean, I think I think your point about honesty and communication is, a, is an important one. And then I think also like, you know, I'm so lucky. Like I, I literally, the reason I'm monogamous is because I ended up with a person who ticks all of my sexual boxes. That is hard to come by. Um, I'm, I got really fucking lucky and, and I, that I'm not vanilla, right? Like I'm not always hard to please. And so, um, I'm not always easy to please. I mean, sometimes I'm also not hard to please. So, um, um, depends on the day. (laughs) Just truly depends on the day. Um, but like your point about being verse and like, you don't always want to be a top. That's great. You have a top. That's awesome. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that and that doesn't mean that you love your husband less you know what i mean and it's not and it doesn't like i don't know this is like you don't have to resort to cheating to fill in a sexual need when you love a partner i think another thing that comes out with kind of opening yourself up to all these different forms of sex is it really addresses what you're ashamed of Mm. too and as you were saying that, I was thinking, like, I do feel like that's another huge thing and maybe something that I don't talk about enough just in my personal life either that my husband and I have had to come to terms with is there's so much internalized homophobia. There's so much repressed sexual shame. There's so many things that, you know, like you said, there's trauma that we've kind of gone through and being able to live our authentic lives. And a lot of it, to this day, we have a hard time talking about but having the openness and kind of like well we've done that before or like we were doing that you know what I mean it it makes it easier to talk about it and and again kind of going back to if we didn't have that who knows how long that would stay buried yeah and so yeah I guess that kind of like piggybacks off of the honesty and communication but really I think that it it helps with shame yeah and it like it it 
creates a safe space with you and your partners. Like, okay, no, we've done some weird stuff together. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's nothing you can tell me that isn't going to shock me. Or yeah. that is going to shock me. Yeah. And I think that that's really beautiful. Yeah. Not to say, I mean, at points, both of us have cheated. Yeah. Which I totally know what you mean. There's, like, a very fine line between totally. being open and honest and, like, no, that was cheating. Yeah. And... But again, it, it comes back to like that, that shame or that fear of the communication or fear of, of expressing, like, yeah. I really want this. And it's like, well, if you want it, then I support it. Yeah. But kind of trusting your partner that no matter what you want or what you want to try, as long as you talk about it, it's yeah. good. Yeah. And it's trusting yourself too, right? Because I think to your point around shame, like, and, and earlier you said that for you kind of shedding the term monogamous was really hard. And I feel like part of that I mean I think that's difficult for anyone because we're socialized um, at least in America um, and most places in the world but you know we're in America and that's what I'll talk about Um, we're socialized to be monogamous and we're also socialized to be one cis man one cis woman and so it's already hard to rid yourself of a term like monogamy that's been socialized but also when you're already gay (laughs) you've already had to to live your authentic self shed one stereotype one like socialized integral part of being a quote-unquote like suitable traditional person and then you're also non-monogamous which is another thing that you have to process and it's a lot at once um and I think like you my guess and this is a story I'm making up so you can correct me if it's not true but Mm -hmm. I I just imagine being gay and for you um and your husband like you weren't out until you were young adults Mm -hmm. um you neither of you grew up in homes where it was not that your parents weren't lovely but you i mean you grew up in a rural part of america (laughs) like very rural yeah population 2163 (laughs) yes yeah so and we don't need to go into all of that right i'm not trying to open up a childhood trauma can of worms (laughs) but it's like it's not like you were in a position growing up where you could communicate freely about your sexuality, let alone about anything. So it's like, I'm not saying that that's an excuse, quote unquote, excuse for anyone to, to cheat, but it's like, of course it turned into cheating because yeah. you didn't, you weren't ever in a position where you had practiced talking. <laughs> like, it was a very steep yeah. learning curve very quickly. Yeah. Like, to suddenly go from trying to pretend like we're this monogamous, straight couple in yeah. a way to this fully open alt couple yeah and it, it was hard yeah and it, it was it's a lot at once yeah yeah and you're like pro- I mean I feel like exploration's exciting like I feel like when I've been in phases of like vast sexual exploration either um like kink wise or queer wise like I want to do it all at once like you know <laughs> what I mean I'm like well this is crazy like I'm gonna I'm gonna try all of it right now and it's like I'm not like processing with myself I'm not doing aftercare <laughs> I'm cheating like, <laughs> like I'm doing like I'm doing everything messy and wrong and it's right. so easy to fall into that and so I think it's huge that you were able to take that as learning opportunities and grow together and also you had patience with yourself and with one another that like this was all new for both of you yeah. and it didn't mean that your relationship had problems right. it was just that you had stuff that you had to work through and figure out and that's right. I mean the way that every relationship is, but we act like it doesn't exist in heteronormative relationships. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. Is it, and that kind of like goes back to what I said about setting the rules is almost a form of protection. Yes. Because I definitely felt like 
when you know I cheated, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was against the rules. But you kind of did. did. <laughs> yeah. But like, it it definitely was. All right. Well, yeah, we didn't talk about that specific right. scenario, which I, I felt very bad afterwards. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I definitely that's something that I apologized for. Right. But. Uh, there's, there, there can be a lot of gray area. Yeah, and <laughs> it's truly not black and white. I mean, like, if you if you try to fit a sexual dynamic into a black and white box, it's not going to fit. Like, right. you just can't. Nothing about sex and relationships is black and white. And this is, I'm grossly, like, making assumptions and generalizing, but I feel like the more you try to force yeah. a relationship into a black and white dynamic, I think more problems just come. Like, the, the For pro- sure. It's going to come out eventually. Totally. So I think that the more open and honest you can be about it, it's like, we're sexual beings. Yes. We have many sexual fantasies. Yes. And sometimes monogamy just isn't feasible. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes monogamy doesn't lend itself to exploring those fantasies. Right. And that's totally fair. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I had a, when I started my relationship with my partner, Joe, like, I said, my one rule was I need radical honesty because... I mean, I have been cheated on by every partner I've been with except for him, which is like, love it. <laughs> so much fun. Um, but more than anything, I wanted to hold myself accountable because I knew I had this history of if it's a gray area, I'll do it. Right. And that even even if it wasn't in my situation, really cheating, like it felt like cheating. I felt guilty about it. I didn't like who I was. When I was doing those things and I didn't want to be in a situation where I was with someone that I was intent on spending my life with and I fucked it up because I didn't hold myself accountable. Um, And so that's why I said like radical honesty and like a friend of of mine made a comment to me the other day about – and she didn't – she wasn't trying to be insulting at all but just like compared to her and her partner, she was like – you're so much more like up in Joe's business. <laughs> and and I was like, it's not necessarily that I pry. I mean, I do pry. I'm nosy. But we we overshare anything. Part of that is because I dictated it early mm-hmm. on. And he was appreciative, especially because from his vantage point, he wanted to be in a monogamous relationship. And when he met me, I was in a non-monogamous relationship <laughs> with someone else. And I was fucking a bunch of people, right? So it was sort of like, he was like, hey, I know this is part of your, this is part of your past. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in a non-monogamous relationship. And I was like, that's cool. Let's implement radical honesty, though, because who knows? I'll while out and just, no, I'm kidding. I yeah. would never do that. But but I want I wanted an accountability. No, and I think that accountability, especially with something like this, is incred- in- incredibly important. And, uh, yeah, I feel like when my partner and I first started, that was always my thing. I'm like, honesty, 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 even before e Yeah. And then I said when we started, it was like, okay, that was honesty. This is like, no, yeah. we need, right, like you yeah. said, radical accountability. Radical yeah. honesty. Radical right honesty. Yeah. 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 And like full vulnerability. Yes. Which feels bad. It's scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I hate it, but <laughs> this no, is why I'm in therapy. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting here processing trauma as we're recording. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so obviously you explained like how the two of you kind of came into it. Um, like, I mean, 
my route of it was like through fantasy that then became like serious conversation, mm-hmm. which was really hard because it, I think like my, my stance on like communicating a desire in a, in a sexual dynamic. And I'd love to hear your take on this is like, come from a place of inquisition, mm-hmm. like say to your partner, like, Hey, I have been kind of fantasizing about incorporating another person into our sexual relationship like, do you ever fantasize about that? And, like, what do you think about it? As opposed to being, like, what happened to me, which was, like, basically my partner and I sexting about what it would be like. And then finally me having to be, like, okay, is this fucking real? Because, like, every time we talk about it, you're jerking off. And I, we could be jerking off to literally anything. Like, I am I used to LARP, okay? Like, I, can, I, jerk off, I, I jerk off to weird shit. That doesn't mean I want to do it in real life. That's like stimulus is stimulus is stimulus. It doesn't mean I want to do it. Right. Um, so like what's real here? And that's when we kind of had to have a conversation. But like part of what didn't work for us is so much of the boundaries that we set were set while we were in a place of sexual desire. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're aroused and you're like, yeah, I want you to fucking do that right now. It's like, cool. And then you get mad at me when you're post nut clarity and you're like, wait, why'd you do it for real though? And I'm like, wait, but you told me to, (laughs) you told me this is what you wanted. I thought this was a set boundary. And then I did it. Like, it's so complicated. Don't do it that way. What are, what are some tips? What, what would you encourage people who are trying this out? Like, how would you go about discussing it for the first time again? (laughs) So your, I feel like your question is two parts. Like, how to initiate if you're not ENM, yes. and then like once you are ENM, how to like yes. figure out the boundaries within that. Yeah, so yeah. So I think to initiate it if you aren't ENM, I I think can be very tricky. Um, I think that it takes a you you have to know your partner. Yeah. I think that it would take someone very open minded to just kind of drop it. Like, do you want to have a threesome? I, I think that yeah. for very few people they'd be like, oh yeah, sure after being in a monogamous relationship for two, three, four years, yeah. like it would be, that'd be a lot. I mean, it's, it's me, but, <laughs> but, but it, yeah, it's not, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, yeah, kind of badass, but yeah, yeah. don't recommend. No, I do. I definitely think that I feel like if it were me and I were trying to do it, I would start small. Yeah. Like I would kind of start being more open about sexual desires, maybe like, Oh, we should try something else. Like, you know, do you want to try this? What do mm-hmm. you think about this? And kind of build up to it. I, maybe that's manipulative. I, I, I no. don't. I don't intend it to seem manipulative. I don't think it's manipulative because I think, like, identify what your start, your comfort starting off point yes. is. Yes, yes, Because it's. I think, like, to your point, it's rare for someone to be like threesome tomorrow. Right. I think. I think actually a lot of straight couples jump to that because they're like, hmm, how do I try something crazy? Threesome. <laughs> when it's like there's so many little things you can try that people like forget. Or right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, no, start start small and you can have in the back of your mind like maybe this could mean more over time and you can share that. Yeah. But I also think it's really hard sometimes to differentiate fantasy from actual desire. And starting small is the right way to figure out if that's true. Yes. I in Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, right, having that baseline and building from that, I think, is important. Because some people are totally uninterested in it, don't want anything to do with it. And so much of their either identity or their feeling of security or is wrapped up in the monogamy. Right. And I totally respect that. I, I genuinely, I understand that and yeah. I get it. 
So that's a boundary that maybe you don't want to cross. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this is a fantasy, but at the same time, it's like, you love your partner. Yeah. And this is not their fantasy. So there's a balancing act. Yeah. It it was weird that we were just like, do you want to have a threesome? Yeah. And then four hours later, we were doing it after being monogamous for four years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that is weird. Yeah. Um, I feel like that falls into the like gay trope of like, we dated for a week and then we lived together for two weeks and we got married. You know what I mean? Like, the, like hey, no, we're doing it. Um, but one of my um, gay friend, gay guy friends um, has been in a relationship for four months and they just moved in together and he like said we went full dyke U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, we like went dyke and got a U-Haul and moved in together. And I was like, this is a really funny analogy. But Living with partners is economical. I'm just going to say it. It's true. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about crazy relationship timelines, don't look at mine. So um, just don't. Um, But I think, like, it's – you don't have to jump to – I'm interested in ethical non-monogamy, and I'm going to go fuck someone else tonight and see how we feel about it. Like, that's not the right move. No, not at all. And it it, it definitely – it takes a lot of – you really have to know your partner and yeah. you have to be very sensitive, but also open-minded yeah. and willing to accept or reject everything. But as long as you're certain and you're not acting on emotion and it's like, okay, this is a logical conversation that it's not hurting anyone if we just have the conversation. And I think yeah. keeping that in mind will keep it, keep you open-minded. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some questions that like, people can pose to one another if they're considering it and I guess one that comes to mind is like is this something we want to do together or is it something we want to do separately like Mm. does ethical non-monogamy look like doing things together doing it separately see I think that that's I think it's harder for straight couples to do stuff together Truly straight couples. Yes. And I always forget You're that. You're saying truly straight because <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I'm in a straight relationship, but like, I'm queer. Well, you'd be into it. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, because last weekend we were at a wedding for one of our friends, and they had a date night Dropbox. And everyone was supposed to write date night suggestions and put it in the Dropbox. And everyone's doing these cute things like, buy her flowers, do this. I just put threesome, throw it in. I was this close to putting Peg him. I didn't because they would never. But but I laughed afterwards because I'm like, wait, that probably wouldn't be as easy for a straight couple. In a way, I guess I feel lucky because it's like for us, it's like everyone loves dick and it's like the more dicks, the merrier. <laughs> the like. more dicks the- <laughs> and that's not always the case. Yeah. More dicks is not always merrier right. for me. I've actually, the only three sons I've ever had were me, another vulva owner, and, a, and one penis owner. The, the classic. Right. Um, Male fantasy. Yeah. Um, I was definitely in charge, though. So, um, because it's, that. that's the problem. If there's another vulva owner in the room, I'm the top. Like, I just, and so, and so he was, he was also a bottom. Like, he just had to lay back and, and I was in charge. But, like, I, I was always curious about what having two penis owners would be like. Because I think there's, like, for a lot of, I mean, I, I can't speak about trans women, but for a lot of cis women that I've spoken to about it, like, there's a fantasy of being, like, body worshipped by two men, I think. Mm. Um, but two dicks is a lot to worry about. Whereas for you, everyone's... Right. Everyone's happy. Loving the dick. I think that, I mean, anatomically, the biggest difference is you have more access points. 
And that's I think so that true. that's like I'm jealous sometimes of that because it's like I have too many holes. <laughs> if I had more holes, I could fill them all, and yeah. I'd be very happy. And tits. Not that Just mine are true. very big. <laughs> Surprise, listeners! <laughs> I don't have massive tits, but you can still do something like a like a titty a titty fuck is always a, a side option too, and you don't have boobs. I, I don't know what that is, and I'm I'm happy. You're okay not knowing. Yeah, not knowing. don't look it up. I mean, it, it's. It, I can imagine, but yeah, I'm you trying can not imagine. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. No yeah. shame to titty owners. I would love titties. Just on you and yes. not on someone yes. else. Yes. Yeah, that's the difference. It's like you want them, but you don't want to be near someone who has one. Yeah, I get it. But yeah, so threesome is not, I agree, it's for straight couples, not, ex- well, I guess it's not accessible. To any- it's, it's a lot, a lot. It's a lot no matter what. But that's where swinging can come in. Totally. Like, so I think that that a dynamic maybe doesn't matter as much as a, a you know, a gay couple, whereas, like, a straight couple, that could be yeah, an more. easy alternative. Yeah, and, like, maybe there are little things to try for. I mean, I, I'm such a sexter that, like, I feel like this is something I could say is really easy and for some people would be weird. But, like, one of the things that I did before I slept with other people is, like, I sexed other people. Mm-hmm. And my partner sexed other people. And, like, that was how we started opening things up because it was, like, a totally safe, no harm, no foul. I'm just going to, like, have sexy dialogue and masturbate with someone else. And that was, like, an easy entry point for me. But I don't know if that's – like, I feel like not that many people are into sexting. I, I feel like as soon as you involve another person, I think that that – I think that's the biggest barrier. Mm. So I think that, like, an easier point would be to start before that. Like, Maybe you just got to do it. <laughs> Maybe you just have to do it, but, like, talk about it a lot before. Right, and be like, okay, I'm going to say something crazy. I don't want you to think that this makes me love you any less. Right. It's just I want to be open and honest. Nothing has to happen. This is totally, like, a fantasy of mine. Yeah. And just prompt it. Yeah, with, and, like, like are that. you into it or not? If right. not, no worries. Yeah, and then just, like, you know, reassure afterwards then, too. It's like, no, like, I totally respect your boundary and that I would never, you know, cross that boundary. Yeah, maybe you do just have to do it. I think that, like, in those situations, I mean, again, we've talked about the value out of labels, and I do think labels are important. But I think, like, I would personally not jump into sitting down with a partner and being like, I think I'm polyamorous. Because I think that's a big word. There are a lot of big words that can turn a partner off of exploration. And again, not to say that you want to be manipulative, but you do want to like help promote their open-mindedness in order to have like a productive conversation. Conversation. I think that even if you just started it with, I want to further our sexual exploration and I want to do it with you. Mm. Make it like a collective journey. Because it is. And it, and it should be. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? No matter what form it takes, it should be something that you share as partners because ultimately you're partners and yeah. you should share any in all experiences. And I think that if you make it that collective effort, I think that that would take a lot of like the I'm doing this by myself with or without you yeah. away, which I think is scary and that can be damaging yes yeah i agree um but it's hard and again like we've talked about this so many times but there it just it it can and should take different forms depending on your relationship and where you are in your relationship like you have changed what this looks like for you several times and you've closed it when you've needed to and like the flexibility and maintaining that throughout seems to be key to like actually making it work long term i think a little caveat on that. Though. Yeah. Something that we learned is even the opening and closing 
can there should be rules around that as yeah. well because for a while I would dictate it mm. like I'm uncomfortable I don't want to do it I want to close or I want to do this let's open and my partner is much more passive much more sub bottom yeah classic <laughs> sub energy <laughs> and he would just kind of go for the ride mm. and later it did come out that it was hard on him because sometimes he would have mm. a desire or a fantasy but because I said no we're closed right now like that wasn't it was basically just me just dictating he when felt like it was off did. the table exactly yeah so even like when we open and when we close uh, currently what we do is we have it just in our calendar every six weeks we have we just call it an open weekend mm-hmm. and we don't have to do anything but it just it promotes the conversation of do we want to like this is our open weekend like do you want to do anything yes yeah. or no and it kind of takes some of the, the subjective emotionalness mm. out of who's making the decision when they're making the decision. It's like, no, the calendar tells us when we get it. more dick. <laughs> yes. No, I love that because that was certainly an issue I had. Like, it was always – like, I would literally be, like, on my way to someone's house and then my partner would be like, never mind, closed. Yeah. And I'd be like, cool, I'm literally en route to get fucked. <laughs> like, this man is already hard. Like, I cannot, like, I'm, I'm going. Like, and, and then it's like, cool, I'm cheating now because, like, I made a dick appointment. And, like, Right, it got mid-transfer, <laughs> things changed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and stuff like that is, is messy. And I've known people who are, like, in similar situations where, you know, they've started building something with another, like, an outside partner, a third or whatever you want to call it. And then... There, there weren't rules. There wasn't mm-hmm. anything negotiated, and and it's difficult. So it's it's fluid, but it has to be. There, the boundaries have to be set to dictate what that looks like. And I think that, the more you can remove emotion from the boundaries, the better. Mm. Because, there's gonna be emotion infused with this. There just is with sex and relationship. It's it's yeah. inherent, and I think you both need to accept that. Yeah. And kind of reject that in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean. Make it as if a third party is dictating. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> I make it as if a third party is dictating when it is, and then I think that that kind of alleviates some of the the pressure from one partner or another to either feel like I have to do this, or I don't have to do this. I feel like this is your business brain talking, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true because yeah. you do kind of need an intermediary, but yeah. it doesn't really make sense to bring in a literal third person to sit down. Like you don't need a lawyer for this, <laughs> but you do need. But in a way, yeah, a metaphorical lawyer. The calendar. Yeah, the calendar's the lawyer, calendar for oh sure. God. Our calendar controls our life. <laughs> you we do. just we put anything in our calendar. It's just like, oh, I guess we're going to the grocery <laughs> store right now. Like, <laughs> guess I'm gonna go get dig down right now. Ugh, <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think that that makes that makes sense, and I think like again, the key takeaway here is that this can look like a million different things, and that everyone should be able to figure out what that looks like for them if they want. Yeah, but with certain boundaries in place, right? For safety. Yeah, safety is important. Yes. Actually, one quick question on that. Of course. How do you discuss STI and protection? So my partner and I are both on prep. Amazing. Anyone doing anything outside of a monogamous relationship, I cannot stress it enough. Just get prep. It, almost no side effects. It's so easy. And don't, usually there's a manufacturer coupon. If, you know, there's a copay, like there's no reason why you can't be on it. Yeah. 
highly recommend. And prep is for HIV prevention. Yes. Everything else is pretty much curable. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've had my fair share. Yes. Um. Well, HPV is a little tricky for those of us with the vulvas, but listen to my episode about HPV. <laughs> yes. I don't have to worry about that yes. as much. Yes. Not entirely. Well, you do, but it's not as much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's different for you. Right. So for us, if it's one night and there's any sort of penetration, absolutely condom no matter regardless of whether or not we're on prep or anything like that we don't know this person we don't trust this person absolutely not um with our partners who we are like friends with and know them and like we have had this conversation like you know if we fuck raw are you fucking other people raw or would this be a special thing and we, we literally have the conversation. Yeah. And then it's like, then we either decide whether or not we're comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, both my partner and I go every three months for prep. Yeah. Uh, we get STI, STD checks. Um, no, we're very... I think that's really important too. Yes. Yeah. And I, it, 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 you need to, it needs to be done. Yeah. Because it's like, you can't be doing this and just blindly, you know taking yeah. in all this cum and pretending like you're not getting an STI because you probably will. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, it is easy because like, maybe this is a trope, but because you aren't at risk for pregnancy. Right. It's like, who needs a fucking condom? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to fuck someone's booty. Like, Which we fall into that <laughs> very hard. I would do. I mean, honestly. And like, I, I have always been very obviously, um, aware of things like STIs and, and overall like risk mitigation. But yeah, no, sometimes it's like, ah, I'm not on birth control right now. We'll just put it in. Like, just, just come in my face. It'll be fine. And like, that's not true. <laughs> but yes, um, that's important. And I'm, I'm glad that, um, that that's part of your negotiated yeah. relationships. No, it, it was never even like a question, a question yeah. because it's like, I, 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 I don't even want to mess with that. Yeah. Because that just, that's another it's not thing. worth it. Yeah. And like, you don't have to call people and be like, hey, sorry, I got the clap. Like maybe. You, Which you I, I have done that. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> a lot of people have, especially in the gay community. Like I kind of don't know a gay cis man who hasn't made a call or two. It's, it's like, again, we need to destigmatize de- the shame around that. Totally. Because I'm like, I'm really embarrassed. But then I'm like texting these people. I'm like, Wait, I was the bottom. I got this from one of you. (laughs) You did this to my ass. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, Any other, like, final nuggets of wisdom or parting words that you'd like to share with people kind of considering E&M? I think that if you're considering it and you feel that your partner could be open to it, I think you absolutely should try it. Yeah. I. You can always stop. Yeah. Like, it's not like a permanent, like, you sign up for this and, you know. And especially... And this is a joke, but, like, if you're already queer, like, we're going to hell. So, like, why not have fun? (laughs) (laughs) On that very good note, um, Zach, thank you so much for coming on talking about this. I love you. Thank you so much for having me. I love you, too. I'm I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.